Welcome to the latest update from Red Star Radio, covering the main news out of the Russia-NATO war taking place territory of the country formerly known as Ukraine. We're going to be looking first of all at the latest from the front line, and then turning to look at connected stories in the wider world of U.S. imperialism as vassal states. So we're going to be looking at the uh, the Xi-Biden summit meeting, the veritable rogues gallery that the FTX collapse has revealed, the activities of its founder and uh, supposed operator, Mr. Sam Bankman-Fried, and also looking at some recent comments made by Chuck Schumer regarding the need to suddenly dramatically increase the size of the American workforce as reality finally bites upon the American ruling class. But first of all, let's start with the news from the front line. The biggest news from yesterday is, of course, the ongoing controversy over the missile strike inside Poland, which apparently killed two Polish farm workers. Now, this was blamed immediately by various sources led by the Associated Press, citing an anonymous U.S. intelligence on the Russians, of course, the dastardly Ruskies launching a missile strike on Poland. Now, of course, Poland immediately played the part of the wounded party, but I must point out in passing that, of course, Poland has thousands of Polish troops out of official uniform called mercenaries or private contractors deployed inside Ukraine itself for the specific purpose of fighting the Russian army. So Poland is hardly a neutral party in all this. But, of course, they immediately claimed that uh, Russia had attacked them, that it was time to invoke an Article 4 discussion. And this is Article 4 of the NATO Treaty, which is a clause that is triggered when a NATO member asks for it to be in the event of an attack on their borders. Now, this has been triggered multiple times since the turn of the century. And it's been triggered a lot of times by the government of Turkey. And it was actually triggered in response to the Iraq war, uh, because the Turkish government at the time was claiming that its borders were under attack by Kurdish militants. But uh, all Article 4 does is say that the NATO alliance should discuss the threat. Um, so there is not as much to panic about as it first appeared there, but it was, of course, a risky situation. Now, the reality was revealed very quickly. Uh, in fact, it was revealed very quickly by both Russian and some Ukrainian independent research who looked at the photographs from the shrapnel that was on the scene, the fragments of the missile, and discovered fairly quickly that it matched the description of a S-300 air defense missile, surface-to-air missile, that is used exclusively in this conflict by the Ukrainian armed force. It's not used by the Russian. And this came out very quickly, and even the French, the British, and the Americans held back from blaming the Russians. And in fact, then Duda, the moron that runs the cabal of reactionaries in Warsaw, went from saying that there was an urgent discussion needed and, uh, you know, action required to saying there needed to be an investigation to saying, well, looks like it was a Ukrainian missile, but it's still the Russians' fault. Clearly, Duda was told by his paymasters in Washington, no, we're not doing this. And the worrying thing isn't the missile strike itself or the attempt by the Ukrainians to stir up a NATO intervention. That is that the screaming madmen in Warsaw and the Baltic states were initially prepared to go along with it. Now, again, we talked about the, uh, the the yapping dogs of the Baltics, foaming madmen of Warsaw before, but it should be emphasized the fact that they, the Czech Republic government and others, uh, including the Romanians, are so desperate to cause some kind of conflagration. It is because they want to try, at least in the Poles' case, to vastly extend their land borders and recreate some modern-day version of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, which, by the way, would be a disaster. Um, 
but they would only be able to do so with the Americans backing. They would not be able to do so under their own steam. Apparently the Polish army, uh, well-trained and well-led in terms of its officers, but Poland does not have the industrial base that would enable it to go toe-to-toe with the Russians. The only way they could make this land grab is if they went in as part of an American-led force, and the Americans aren't wanting to do it. This is the reason, I think, why uh, William Burns, the director of the CIA, and Sergei Naryshkin, director of the SVR, the Russian Foreign Intelligence Service, met this week in Ankara. There was talk that it was going to be about a potential conflict resolution in Ukraine, but in actuality, I think it was about events like this. It was about trying to set up some kind of way during these peace talks, which the American and the Russian governments could share information and prevent an escalation. And that's good news for anybody who doesn't want to see a mushroom cloud exploding soon. But of course, there were people in Ukraine and some of the mad dogs of the Baltic who regarded this as a terrible thing. But It says that there are those inside the American imperialist structure that, whilst they are cold-blooded, ruthless bastards, aren't stupid enough or homicidal enough to go in for World War III over. So it's clear that the Russians and the Americans, for all the uh, shouting and screaming that goes on from Washington and the accusations flying at Moscow, they do want to establish a way to actually manage the situation. And this doesn't involve sending an American force into Ukraine, so the Poles were probably told some along those lines and they had to reel it back in again and that there is a growing if not distaste then hesitancy about what to do now with regard to Ukraine in Washington and I'll come to on to more of that later as it relates to the FTX collapse and the Sam Bankman Freed story but of course the Ukrainians didn't want to admit that this was a missile that had flown into Poland and killed two Polish citizens. Uh, There is, of course, a theory going around that the Ukrainians did it deliberately, that they launched this missile, uh, because according to Scott Ritter's uh, take on this, you can use a um, an air defense missile as a surface-to-surface missile just by adjusting its radar guidance. It's not an area I have great expertise in or any, but apparently you can. And that this is something that is conceivable that the Ukrainians could have done. Launched an S-300 into uh, Poland uh, with the hope that it caused enough of a crisis to secure a NATO intervention. Was it deliberate? We don't know. We can't know that. I imagine that whoever has fired this from whatever system has been squirreled away somewhere and we'll never see the light of day certainly won't be seeing the uh, the light of an investigation but the crucial thing is that Zelensky is still loudly insisting the Russians did it even though the Russians aren't using S-300s even though the Russians have no need to attack Poland they're killing plenty of Polish forces inside Ukraine as it stands right now footage came out today of uh, numerous flags uh, wrapped around the coffins of Polish soldiers who've been killed in Ukraine by Russia for what reason does it do any good for the working class of Poland? Of course it doesn't. What it it does is of course helps the Polish reactionaries serve their Washington master and try to advance their own petty land grab ambition. And so many, many hundreds, possibly thousands in the end of Polish soldiers will die in this conflagration in the end for absolutely nothing. But so this has turned out to be a a giant nothing, thankfully. Worth looking further, though, at why the Associated Press chose to rush out there with a statement immediately blaming Russia, citing one unnamed source in American intelligence. Who that was, the Associated Press, well, should be 
asked loudly and repeatedly uh, why they reported this based on one source, why they rushed into print with it. And then, of course, because the Associated Press goes, because all of the newspapers and TV stations that make up what is laughably called by the bourgeoisie the public sphere, because they're all run on a shoestring budget now and have very few reporters of their own, and the people they do employ are low-skilled, low-intelligence morons who got the job because they were rich enough to work for nothing. Well, they all just reprinted it and repeated it, and they've not retracted it. And even now, after it's been discovered that this was an S-300 launched by Ukraine, the officials in London and Washington are, of course, still blaming the Russians, including in one excruciating phone call between Zelensky, presumably after doing a lot of white powder, and Sunak and Trudeau, where they were uh, they were trying to commiserate with Zelensky over the phone, and they made a video out of it. Weird. Uh, even weirder than Trudeau's normal interactions, including him getting a bollocking from Xi Jinping and walking off like he'd just soiled himself the other day at the G. Hilarious video. If you haven't seen it already, be sure to do so. But that's the missile launch controversy a nothing story in the end that could have become something and certainly ukraine wanted to make it into something as did certain factions within poland itself i do wonder when this whole thing comes crashing down after the russians do launch much bigger scale attacks on land and take more of ukrainian territory and push what's left of the ukrainian state towards collapse um, how much longer the current group of Polish reactionaries can survive when the full extent of their role is revealed. Uh, will the Pol- ruling Polish party finally lose office as a result of the scandals that will probably come out about its involvement? So, other things going on, of course. The um, whole reason why there were so many Ukrainian air defense missiles launched over the last couple of days anyway is that the Russians have engaged in a further major bombardment of Ukrainian energy facilities, including um, those around Kiev, those around the those around Odessa, rolling power cuts taking place across the country, um, water shortages. And this is seems to be a strategy that the Russians are now following in terms of their ta- taking down of the Ukrainian energy grid. They hit it hard for a couple of days. They wait to see uh, what the Ukrainians do in terms of repairing it. Then they hit it hard for a few more days, wait to see again. Then they hit it hard some more. Essentially, what they're doing is they're slowly stretching out to breaking point Ukraine's ability to maintain its energy. And I imagine that before the major Russian assault begins, whenever that does come, incidentally, the weather in Russia and Ukraine is now, of course, turning towards the snowy seasons. Heavy snow falling over the cities of Moscow and St. Petersburg. It'll soon be falling heavily if it's not already inside Ukraine itself. And of course, the Russians are commenting that the weather is not going to be a factor in affecting their calculations on an offensive. So we wait and see. But my point is that they will be launching an offensive quite soon, maybe in the next few weeks, uh, maybe in the beginning of December. Again, we don't know. Uh, Sergei Surovikin is not forthcoming in his plans and is quite right. But the question of the bombardment will be returned to just before they launch their major offensive. I imagine that before they do, they'll want to hit the Ukrainian energy grid so hard it can't be repaired again in a hurry. And they will do so because, of course, as we've discussed on this show before, there is a heavy reliance by the Ukrainian armed forces on satellite and high-tech communications technology to do a lot of their targeting of their artillery systems and do a lot of reconnaissance. And if the power grid collapses, they of course won't be able to recharge the 
iPad type devices that apparently their offices and their artillery spotters work off in terms of coordinating with the overhead satellites provided of course by Mr. Elon Musk, the great capitalist rebel. And if they can't do that, then they're back to maps and pencils again. And then that's a severe problem because that's one of the few advantages that they had over the Russian forces, which is that they have probably better targeting system. In fact, the Russian uh, Russian independent military reporters have stated this quite often, that the uh, integrated targeting systems of the Ukrainian armed forces using the NATO system are much superior to what the Russians are using. The Russians just have so much more artillery and missile systems that the advantage of uh, Ukraine's superior targeting ability doesn't actually count for that much, but it does cause problems to the Russians. If they lose the ability to power this system in terms of the interfaces used by the commanders on the ground, then that advantage goes, and then they've got even more problems. So, more bombardments likely to follow. Um, other things that have happened uh, over the last day or so, the Ukrainian armed forces appear to have transferred significant reserves over towards the part of the front line that runs along the territory of the Lukansk People's Republic, which is almost completely liberated, like there's two tiny pockets where the Ukrainians have forces now. Ukrainians appear to be trying to make a drive up there. There is continued talk of an offensive from both sides um, over near uh, Zaporozhye. There is more um, rumours regarding the Ukrainians' possible attempt to retake Zaporozhye nuclear power plant by force, and they've tried to do this, to my counting, at least four times over the last six weeks, all of which have ended in a catastrophic and bloody failure. But they keep trying it. Of course, taking the Zaporozhye nuclear power plant will be a big propaganda victory. It would also be, of course, important to to the Ukrainian energy supply. But then again, if the energy grid has been completely destroyed, because it's not, of course, just a question of having the nuclear power plants, the Russians aren't bombing the other Ukrainian nuclear power plants. What they are doing is bombing the substations, conducting missile attacks on the actual energy grid that transports the electricity generated by the power plants around the place. So worth noting that uh, there is likely to be more action around the Zaporozhye nuclear power plant. There's also talk of a Russian offensive into the, re the rest of the territory of the Zaporozhye region, which is still held by the Ukrainian armed forces in order to unite that part of the uh, now Russian region. So expect further developments around Lukansk. Clearly the, um, the Ukrainian armed forces are looking to carry out something there. There's obviously something going to be happening in the uh, Zaporozhye region. There's a lot of rumors coming out of there. So worth keeping an eye on that as well. And I'll be back with more on that tomorrow. But turning to other items on our agenda today, and this I'll turn first to the Ukraine-linked item, which is, of course, the implosion of the FTX crypto exchange. So for those of you who are unaware, FTX is a crypto exchange business that was started by a gentleman by the name of Sam Bankman-Fried back in 2019 when he was based in Hong Kong. Incidentally, Sam Bankman-Fried looks eerily like my first-year university flatmate, but that's another story. Now, Bankman-Fried and a number of others um, who he came out of the same university with were the people who were running this company, Bankman Free being principal owner and operator of it. Um, he is, of course, the son of a Stanford law professor, uh, that being his father, and his mother is a major coordinator of donations to the Democratic Party. So this guy comes from if not big money, then at least serious money. Now, first, the details of what Bankman-Fried might have been up to. Now, of course, crypto, as any of you who are listening to this who've uh, heard me talk about it previously, is a scam. It, the whole thing is a scam, whether it's Bitcoin, Dogecoin, whether it's Sam Bankman, 
Sigmund Freed, whether it's Elon Musk shouting to the moon, it's all a con. It's all a con which is mainly used for money laundering and other forms of openly, or clandestinely in this case, criminal behaviour. And it's a con because, of course, it's something which isn't performing the role of money. It only does that in like El Salvador, where that ludicrous figure, uh, Bukele, the, pri- the president, decided to make it legal tender. No one else has followed suit. The Chinese banned it, um, incidentally, which was part of the reason why Bankman Freed fled from Hong Kong. And one of the reasons why the Chinese banned it was because that uh, Bankman Freed was using FTX to funnel money to the anti-China protest movement in Hong Kong. And he was doing this openly. He was buying them resources with it because, of course, as the economist Michael Hudson noted in recent comments on, the main usage of, uh, of cryptocurrency is to put money in one end and take it out the other which is what Bankman Freed was doing for the Hong Kong protesters. And it's also what uh, he seems to have been doing in part for Ukraine. Now, the Ukraine side of this was covered by a recent article released a couple of days ago by uh, Kit Clarenberg, who, of course, we uh, had on the show recently, where he covers the activities of FTX when it comes to Ukraine and how some of the money that was uh, apparently being raised for Ukraine, around $5 million of it, went walkabout. And this has been a lot of speculation that, of course, FTX was involved in funneling money to the Democratic Party. Certainly, Bankman Freed was giving money to the Democratic Party. Whether he was using the Ukraine donations to do this, that is not established as of yet. So let's not get carried away with ourselves. But certainly, Bankman Freed was running a company that was essentially a Ponzi scheme, a con game. And now that there's been an administrator appointed to oversee the dissolution of FTX, breaking up and the paying off of its creditors, uh, we can see some of what he was up to. Now, I'm just going to pick out some choice highlights from the comments made by the administrator, who was appointed recently by the court in Delaware, where FTX filed, filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy under U.S. law. Now, the administrator, a man by the name of John Ray III, who has overseen the unwinding and liquidation of Enron, is quoted as saying, Never in my career have I seen such a complete failure of corporate controls and such a complete absence of trustworthy financial information as occurred here. So what is clear from the filing and the legal documents from the Chapter 11 claim are online. The best place to read a summary of it is actually the Zero Hedge website, where they're going through it and posting up the highlights. But what, according to the administrator, has gone on is, of course, that Bankman Freed was essentially running a classic con game in that um, he had separated out the FTX bit of the business. And there was another company that he was running called Alameda, which ran alongside FTX, which had basically a backdoor into the FTX system that allowed Bankman Freed, principally him, to pull out uh, resources, uh, money from FTX and put it wherever he wanted to. And this is one of the things that the administrators are now trying to investigate, which is, well, where did all the money go? Because FTX was invested in by various different rich individuals, countries' sovereign wealth funds, and of course, that perennial favourite pension scheme, including um, Canadian public sector pension scheme. Now, you might ask, why are pension schemes putting a lot of money, a lot of their members' money, into um, scams like FTX or into risky debt package uh, assets, so-called assets, which was revealed to be a problem for British pension funds recently after the um, disastrous mini-budget of Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng uh, managed to make... um, 
the debt markets in the UK very insecure. So the pension funds who were heavily exposed to debt packages had to be bailed out by the Bank of England. So why are they investing in these? And as I said back at the time of the mini budget and fallout, the pension funds are chasing returns. And because there's been such low profitability in the real economy for such a long time now, what they've ended up doing is making exactly the same mistakes as were made before 2008, which is that they're putting money into assets that are deeply dubious and debt packages being one of those because in terms of the stock market price these packages look very appealing in terms of their ability to provide a what looked like it was going to be a big return and in actuality it never is of course but they were also for the same reason attracted towards Bankman Fried's scam and his crypto action. So this is a product of the fact that there has been a long period of time in the major Western economies where profitability has been low, where asset prices have been boosted, and where profitable outlets for pension funds and other wealth funds are limited. So they end up going after these um, here today, gone tomorrow bubbles. Now, of course, some people would have invested in FTX or would have invested in Bitcoin, Dogecoin, whatever coin you want to say, and they would have got out of it ahead. If they got in on the way up and then got out at the top, then you could clear some money out of it. But mostly this is and will be seen in the future as essentially just the potentially the biggest product of a time of great fraud and scam, which is going back at least to 2008, but I would argue a lot earlier. Now, to return to the chapter 11 filing, I want to just highlight a couple of potentially amusing things. One of which is that the actual number of employees that FTX had can't be established. Now, the uh, legal documents in the administrator have said that they found some people who are working on uh, FTX's, well, scam or whatever you want to call it, who um, were actually running the office. So these seem to be IT guys who were actually doing a lot of the work. Uh, Bankman Free didn't seem to do anything other than wander around, appear with Tony Blair and Bill Clinton and tell people to invest. Now, I wonder if anybody will be calling Tony Blair as a witness anytime soon. But the fact that they couldn't even establish who was actually employee um, and how many actual workers were, were supposed to be on the books They've said in the, uh, the bankruptcy filing that the administrators can't even find some of these people or ascertain if they actually existed. That's one thing. The other insane thing was, of course, that the way in which people were paid was absurd. Now, this is a direct quote from the Chapter 11 filing. The company did not have any kind of disbursement controls that uh, they, the administrators, regarded would be as appropriate for a business. For example, employees of the FTX group submitted payment requests through an online chat platform where a group of supervisors approved disbursements by responding to the chats with personalized emojis. So there was no actual system whereby you got paid. You had to submit your claim to a bunch of people in an online chat, and then you would presumably be paid uh, some something to your um, PayPal account or your Venmo or something like that. So there was no actual pay- payment systems all done casually. And this comes up in time and time again, that there was no um, proper cash management system in the business. And the only person who seemed to know anything about like where all the money was going was Bankman Freed himself and the association of weirdos that surrounded him, all of whom had been in some kind of weird polycule, apparently. This is the perfect scandal for this time of uh, great scams and weirdness. Uh, the A company that was a giant fraud possibly being used as a front for uh, dodgy regime change activities by the American deep state 
being run by a bunch of IT nerds who were in an open relationship with each other, who used to respond to payment requests with personalized emotes. It's perfect for the time in which we live. I'm surprised that uh, Zelensky himself was not heavily invested, but maybe even he's not that. Though interestingly enough, Bankman-Fried was meant to be on a panel at the end of this month with Janet Yellen, Mark Zuckerberg, and Zelensky. <laughs> um, so the all scams generally do run together. One of the um, accountancy firms that the uh, FTX was using was famous for being the first to actually open an office in Mark Zuckerberg's metaverse. But of course, the uh, administrators have found that their accounting practices were somewhat lacking and uh, in that there was no proper accounting done of the assets and liabilities of the business at all. So this is a scam. It is taking down the entire uh, crypto market with it. It would seem everybody is saying that um, all the major financial papers are now covering this and saying that it's taking down all of the crypto exchanges, all of of their cryptocurrency is going to go down in flames over this. And of course, a lot of people are going to be left looking very stupid, including all those people who said in recent months uh, over the past year, oh, crypto is going to free us all. Crypto frees your money. Crypto does this, that or the other. Well, turns out crypto's bullshit. Not only that, but the whole thing was shut down by governments very, very easily. Just ask them poor sods on that Canadian truckers convoy who thought that they had uh, their resources safe by putting it in crypto, only to find that the Canadian government could freeze it like that. Of course, they always could. They only let this thing go on as long as it did because, of course, it suited their purposes. Now, they'll call time on it and the technology it was based on will be used to power central bank digital currencies, which, by the way, I don't regard as the apocalypse. I mean, I see a lot of people hyperventilating online saying over and over again, central bank digital currencies, social credit system, it's all over. Well, calm down, put your trousers back on everybody. It's um, the biggest uh, danger to most people, to most ordinary people, isn't central bank digital currencies telling you you can't spend money here, there or wherever, or the completely bastardized and completely misunderstood um, Chinese government social credit system. By the way, (laughs) isn't one system, it's several systems which have been turned into one nightmarish thing by a bunch of very stupid people online uh, who should know better, some of them, and should really know better than just to repeat what some scam artist says. But that's another story for another day. Um, but the, the whole issue of central bank digital currencies is, isn't that they're going to somehow control where you spend your money. It's just an extension of the fact that money in our current uh, disorder, shall we say, has become less and less real. Money has been becoming less real in terms of it actually being a substance. It's already transferred entirely into the digital realm. It's already as far away from uh, being based on the being a reflection of the uh, amount of goods and services in uh, circulation. Now, the amount of money in circulation um, that you couldn't buy every single uh, good and service on the planet. So we're already at the point where this thing it's, has become completely devalued the, and has no uh, basis in the real world anymore or very little basis. So the next stage is just to turn it into a digital currency entirely and remove it from the physical realm completely. That's just the next phase towards the capitalist monetary system being completely devalued. And as I said, it's 
not the end of the world, but it is just a further development of the crisis around uh, the currencies of the advanced capitalist nation. So moving back then to FTX, I mean, FTX was clearly allowed to go on as long as it did because it suited some people's purpose. And in the end, like all scams, the elastic band snapped when uh, more people started demanding their money and Bankman Freed was revealed to have spent it all, apparently on a lavish lifestyle for himself and the other people at the top of the company. But in reality, it seems that this was certainly being used to fund some kind of regime change operation in Hong Kong. It may have been doing similar things in terms of funneling money into Ukraine. We don't know about it funneling money out of Ukraine to party or parties unknown as yet, though that will certainly be revealed as time goes on. How many people in the American uh, political establishment go down as a, uh, as a result of their association with FTX? Who knows? Certainly some. Should. Certainly uh, Bankman Freed had a very close association with the Democratic Party. So a scam is revealed, but within the greater scam that is the American quote-unquote support for Ukraine, which, as I said, is a fraud in itself. So keep an eye on that one. It will be important uh, in terms of its fallout over the next few weeks. Now, I would be, wouldn't be surprised if Sam Bankman-Fried will somehow mysteriously disappear and or commit suicide before he can be called to give evidence. So moving on from there to, again, another story from the other side of Pond, uh, this one being the story of Chuck Schumer's recent comments regarding the need to legalize the status of 11 million people who are currently residing in the United States, uh, supposedly either illegally or part or with dubious uh, residency status. And Schumer said a very interesting thing. He didn't just make the usual humanitarian pitch, faux humanitarian pitch. He said specifically that the uh, the American economy needed more workers and that we wouldn't be able to compete with the Chinese unless we had more workers. Now, this is a welcome admission from Chuck, not in terms of um, what he said, but like the actual justification that he gave is actually more honest than most politicians usually are, including Schumer himself. You see, the reality hitting American capitalism now, if the American capitalist class wishes to retain what they have or be in with any remote chance of competing against the Chinese, is that, of course, they need a vastly expanded labor force. Labor, of course, being the ultimate root of all profit, being the most valuable commodity in the world. And without it, the Americans can't compete against the Chinese, and they don't have enough of it at the moment. Now, of course, many left reformists will argue, ah, yes, but we could be a high-wage, high-tech economy that's uh, dynamically competing with China. Well, no, you can't, because that's not how the decaying capitalism works, certainly not at the moment. And Schumer's comments are a reflection of that, as was the idea floated by the sort of Democratic Party homunculus uh, Matt Iglesias in a book he wrote uh, I believe it was last year or the year before called uh, A Billion American. Now what Iglesias and now Schumer and others are, are reflecting is the fact that American capitalism needs more workers to exploit for the simple reason that they need to urgently do reindustrialization in the United States. That's now admitted by almost everybody inside the ruling circles of uh, the American bourgeois. But, of course, they can't do this with the rates of remuneration for the working class as they are. Even though they've been largely stagnant for over 40 years, they're still too high for American capital to be able to profit from uh, the rebuilding of industry in America. And so this presents a huge problem. How do you get around it? Well, you need to expand the labor force. You need to 
to expand the labor force and you need to do it in a way where you can find layers of a new working class that you can bring in because God knows American capitalism isn't interested in resolving the issues that uh, are behind a declining birth rate, which of course points to increasing deprivation, increasing alienation, and the all that that entails being the reason why the birth rate is so low. But they need a new workforce and they need it now. So bringing in and legalizing the status of 11 million people who they hope can be pushed into the workforce and increase the labor supply, they hope to keep doing this until the price of labor is pushed down and down and down. Now, of course, this is a very risky strategy, but it's a strategy that American capitalism now has to pursue. They are in a position where the ruling class has recognized that they have spent the last 30 years essentially um, boosting the rise of what is now considered to be a rival by putting more and more manufacturing over that. And now they have decided that they need to to reindustrialize their own country again to resecure their own base because the American economy has become hollowed out. And again, they need to do this in a way that makes money. And they've tried to get uh, various ways around this by getting themselves subsidized heavily, by cutting back on health and safety laws, by finding more exploitable layers of the working class, by introducing an ever-growing phalanx of anti-union laws to prevent union uh, organization by doing things like um, right-to-work legislation in various states across the uh, southern and central United States. But now they are in a crisis. They need labor, and they need it quickly. And so legalizing the status of 11 million people is one way of doing it. And also uh, getting factories and uh, resources to exploit set up in countries like Haiti, that being another way to do it. But now they need more labor and they need it from, of course, Central and Southern America. That's going to be one place they look to it. In fact, that's the, the easiest way to get hold of it. The endless stream of people that come across the border in the southern United States are coming for a reason. They are coming because they know that they can get work in the United States. And that's the need of U.S. capital. And of course, it has been the case that this, uh, what the right wing has referred to as the crisis on the border, <clears throat> has existed almost continually since the early 1990s, when, of course, the North American Free Trade Agreement, NAFTA, bankrupted Mexican agriculture by flooding the market with cheaper uh, American agricultural products uh, that could be cheap because they were, of course, produced using the vast economies of scale that American agribusiness had available to it, and, of course, ruining small and medium-sized farming all the way across Mexico and leading to a vast wave of migration. Of course, the American bourgeois politicians then cynically manipulated in order to buy votes. Now, the American right-wingers all always scream that we can't get a hold of our border. Our border's in chaos. They've been saying this for years. And of course, the reason why there are so many people coming across is because many of the countries in Central America, especially, have been bankrupted and ruined over many years by US imperialism itself, but also because many of the countries are in a perpetual uh, state of crises due to lack of development, lack of industrialization, the fact that their economies remained uh, rooted in um, raw resource extraction uh, or agricultural production. And that just simply doesn't offer much of a future. Now, if you know that you can go north and at least get some kind of job which pays regularly and it can send um, cash payments to your relatives to make them better off, then, well, many millions upon millions are going to do that and they still can they keep coming because it's still a deal that many will take. American capitalists know this and now they need even more of them. So the only way that this reindustrialization is going to work is if they can push wages down to the point where it is profitable to employ them. And that is what this is all about. Schumer was almost open in his admission of this the other day. 
day. And this is the thinking that is now guiding the US class. Of course, this will produce the result that on the right, Trump and people like them will run on, secure the border, build the wall. But of course, Trump won't be able to stop this flow of people, nor will he actually make serious effort to do so. He talked a lot about the wall, that some of it got built, talk about putting the army on the border, but the need of US capitalism for cheaper labor, of course, is there and isn't going away. And so therefore, because uh, these countries in Central and a lot of them in Southern America still remain underdeveloped, the people will still keep coming because the situation that causes them to move is still there and the need of US capitalism. And all the cynical games that are played between the Democrats and the Republicans, one saying we'll secure the border, the other one saying no human is legal, other hypocritical folk humanitarian slogans. Well, all of this is just a disguise for the naked reality, which is the brutal reality, which is this is all about finding as much exploitable labor as you possibly can and bringing in a lot of it to force the prices of wages down. And this is now the open admission of the leader of the Democrats in the Senate, and this will become a steady drumbeat, partially dressed up in humanitarian clothing. But more and more, it'll be about if we need to compete with China, we need a greater population. Therefore, America needs more mass migration. And the important thing is to see it in this way. And the important thing for communists is to be able to explain this properly as to what is going on, why jobs disappeared in terms of manufacturing in the first place, why uh, the American capitalist class is always in favor of of mass migration and now even more so it's not about you know replacing white people the capitalist class do not give two fucks what color the people are that do do the hyper exploitative work for them it's not about even votes to the democratic party which is what the american right claims it is about the ability to exploit uh, labor in ever greater quantities and at lower rates of remuneration. And so this is the plan that is developing of the American capitalist class. I have said recently that we are going to see escalating attacks on the American working class, more and more attempts to force down wages and bringing in more and more people from Central and Southern America is a great way to do that because not only does it have the effects of, of course, bringing in more and more labor, uh, quantitatively speaking, uh, in order to put pressure down on wages, but it also um, brings in uh, more social problems, which can be whipped up and used to divide the working class. The Democrats can scream, no one is illegal. The Republicans can scream, build the wall, chuck them out. Neither will do much about any any of it. The flows of people will continue to come. Both of them support um, the idea that you can only reindustrialize the country by making labor as cheap as possible. The only dispute between the two that two of them might be well, one of them wants to do it by bringing in new layers of the working class. The other one wants to do it by um, impoverishing those who are already here. Either way, the American worker will get screwed. Now, of course, this leads to a lot of division, a lot of fear, a lot of uh, manipulation of the situation by bourgeois political forces. Why the communists must stand apart from all of this. It is uh, unacceptable to engage in the faux humanitarianism of the Democrats, but it is equally unacceptable to pretend that the so-called populists of the right wing have any kind of solution. The only solution, such as there is under capital, a temporary one at that, is to try and revive the American labor movement to organize as many sects of the workforce of the economy as possible inside newly reinvigorated trade unions or new trade unions. And that, again, as I said, that's a temporary solution. What that does is it just holds up the process of hyper-exploitation. It um, seeks to remove capital's ability to have this hyper-exploitable workforce by at least putting in some uh, basic trade unionism there and, of course, helping in the process of forming 
forming the working class as a not a class in itself but a class for itself which is at least the uh, second stage of development as a class uh, towards it being a more militant working class but of course you would only get to the highest stage of that with the advent of and the rooting of a successful communist party within the masses as Lenin outlined so long ago. But the important thing is to properly explain this for what it is, which is an attempt to revive production inside the United States by rapidly expanding the labor force. And the proper response to it in the initial period has to be an attempt to rebuild the American labor movement, if necessary, then outside of the rotten shell of the AFL-CIO. And of course, any political initiative that takes place has to be free from the corrosive influence of the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. And I would say that there can't be compromises with the bourgeois right or the left on these issues. There needs to be a clear and independent class position staked out through the proper analysis of the situation. So that's something else that is going to be an urgently developing situation. As the pressure on American capitalism increases, as they increasingly try to move themselves away from dependence upon the uh, productive base of the Chinese, they're going to try and do this ever more as they realize that they are faced with an urgent situation. So again, a developing situation which will only get more intense as time goes on and American capitalism's requirements get ever more urgent. Now that's all for today. I'll be back tomorrow with an analysis of Jeremy Hunt's budget statement, uh, which basically will confirm the British economy is heading down the shit pan quicker than a weighty turd after somebody has had a night out on the kebabs. So tune in for that one tomorrow. It'll be a real humdinger. Until then, thank you for listening and I'll be speaking to you again soon. Shots, 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 shots,